The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. And I've been in the midst of teaching a series called The Five Choices, which is based upon the book The Five Choices by Corey Cogan, Adam Merrill, and Lena Reen. I've been teaching this book because it's basically a book about time management for the 21st century. It's about creating extraordinary productivity. It's about maximizing your mental energy, your physical energy, your attention, and your decision-making. And I hope that you've been getting some insights on how you can improve what you do so you can rest when you need to rest, think when you need to think, act when you need to act, and do anything else that you need to do when you need to do it in a more harmonized and efficient manner. So uh, today I'm going to be talking about leadership, what leaders can do, because now we've taught the five choices, and now it's up to us to discover as leaders, and you might not consider yourself a leader, but we can reevaluate that conversation as well. But get into the space of understanding what leadership is and how a leader can implement some of these techniques that's in this book. Now, first of all, let me start off before I actually get into teaching the points of this chapter. And this chapter is what leaders can do in the book, The Five Choices. It starts off with a quote by Stephen Covey. And the quote is, leadership is a choice, not a position. Leadership is a choice, not a position. Now, I think that this is something that we have to take a look at because there are going to be times where somebody's the leader, but it's not necessarily a position. And John Maxwell defines leadership as influence. And I think that's a very powerful way of describing leadership, influence. As he often says, if you think you're a leader, he says, he says, if you're taking a walk and no one body's following you, this is a paraphrase. If you're taking a walk and no one is following you, then you're not a leader. You're only taking a walk. So it's when you're a leader, you influence others. You influence their thinking patterns, their belief systems. You influence what they say. You influence what they do. You influence what they don't do. You influence how they dress. There's so many ways in which you can be a leader without going through what we call the traditional model of somebody who is somebody's boss, for instance. Because you might be the boss, but not necessarily the leader in the space. And I love to use the example that John Maxwell uh, uses a lot. I have a lot of John Maxwell books. Where he talks about when, uh, before he came into the corporate world of teaching leadership, he was a pastor. 
And when he was a young man, fresh out of seminary, he was assigned a rural church. I believe it was in Indiana, but it was in a rural area. And when he went to talk to them about his initiatives and what could be done and how they can grow the church, every time he was speaking to the board of directors, uh, the board members would look over at one individual that was sitting in a room, a particular board member. And it dawned on him, oh, nothing happens at this church without his approval because the people are looking to him. Because, you know, and just to give context, when in ministry, especially with smaller ministries, ministers can come and go. And it's a core group of members that normally keep everything together. So I, my assumption is that this was that type of church where the ministers come and go, but this core group of people who believe in the community and believe in the purpose and mission of the ministry, regardless of who's leading it, actually keep it together. They actually finance it and they actually protect it. So John Maxwell decided he was going to go and go out, drive out to this man's farm and have a meeting with him. And his job, he felt as though was to create a relationship with this guy in a way that was positive and influential. Therefore, when he got buy-in from this guy, he got buy-in from the rest of the board and from the congregation. And once he started to, to develop this relationship with this individual, things started to move. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. One other distinction I do want to make is, uh, even though it's not necessarily mentioned in this book, it, leaders and managers can be two totally different things. A leader can be vision, big picture, or, you know, the cre creative, you know, the, you know, just the purpose, all of that stuff. The manager has to maintain the systems and the order of the place. Therefore, a manager can be a leader and a leader can be a manager, but they're two different roles. And sometimes we don't get that. A leader influences, a manager maintains the systems. That's what, I'm, that's what it literally means to manage. So if you're a manager, you're managing people and you're managing systems. You're not creating new systems. You're not creating you know, new businesses, you're not creating necessarily the ideas unless the ideas help support the system. So I just want to make sure that we differentiate that uh, because that's not necessarily differentiated in the book, in this particular book. But I want to just add that extra insight because if we get it, you can start recognizing when you're in the leadership role and when you're in the management role. And if you want a good book on leadership versus management, maybe one day I'll do, do a, uh, a series on it. It's called, um, I think it's called, um, let me not say, because I, because I, I don't want to give you the wrong quote and I wasn't prepared to say it. So I'll, I'll take a look maybe down the line, maybe later this year or early next year, I'll just do a series of leadership books because I think it's so necessary. Anyway. The book goes on to say, again, what leaders can do. Leadership is a choice, not a position. The authors wrote, 
a culture is particularly sensitive to the actions of its leaders. And in this context, I think they're using leaders, managers, supervisors together. That's why I want to make that distinction. Almost by definition, they have a disproportionate impact on how a culture feels and what people do. But leadership is not just a position. In fact, some of the most powerful leaders in the world held no formal position of power. Then he wrote, think Mother Teresa or Gandhi. I would add a few other people, Martin Luther King, for instance, you know, uh, before he was the president of South Africa, uh, Nelson Mandela. These are people who didn't have what the people would call positions of power, but they had massive influence. All right. Since by this definition, leadership is a choice, not a position. Now, as a leader, one of the most challenging things that leaders have to get across to themselves, not to others, to themselves, what they have to understand for themselves is leaders cannot function from a do as I say, not as I do perspective. That doesn't mean that other people determine what the leader does per se. In other words, leaders have to move differently. Leaders have to project. Leaders have to see the big picture. Leaders have to uh, make decisions that people that work under them, whether it's volunteerism or a paid staff, that they don't have to consider. So I'm not saying that that means that, you know, everything that they do is lockstep with their employees or followers. What I am saying is a leader can't say, do as I say, not as I do, and not think that it won't affect the family, the organization, uh, the business, the church, the non-for-profit, the government, uh, whatever. It makes a difference. So always be mindful of how you flow, how you, when I say flow, I mean, I got, sometimes I forget using vernacular that's not familiar with some people who, are, who listen to this show outside of the United States. Be mindful of how you talk, how you use your body language, your disposition, in other words, your attitude, your mood, all of those type of things matter when, you know, we, you know, when you're dealing with people. I'll never forget when a member asked me uh, many years ago at the Reverend Coleman and made a transition at CUT and we were going through a series of interim ministers and some back and forth stuff that I'm not going to get into on the podcast, but it was upsetting a lot of people and it upset, I would call the soul of CUT. And I never forget a, a member came up to me and she said, Reverend McDowell, tell me everything is going to be okay. If you tell me everything is going to be okay, I'll believe it. And I said to her with absolute conviction, everything is going to be okay. I wasn't saying that to, to lie. I wasn't saying that just to assure her because she would have saw through it. But we have to do the work as leaders before we deal with the people. People have to be assured that we're still strong because sometimes what you do as a leader affects everyone in ways you, that you know not of. You have to be mindful as a leader how you act, 
how you talk, what you do, where you go, what you are doing when you get there, who you are around. Unfortunately, that is the beauty and the burden of leadership. Yes, it's a it's a beautiful thing, but don't think that there's not some there's not a level of burden to shepherding people. All right. So back to the book. The authors wrote, when we think of leaders, we think of anyone who is willing to involve others to make a change. All right. So leaders are change agents. Leaders create transformation. The authors went on to write, you can be a leader in your team or organization. You can be a leader in your family or community. Anyone who wants to make things better and take the actions required can be a leader. I love that. Anyone, anyone can be a leader. Some people might be, you know, might have the attitude, the disposition, the perspective, the point of view of being a stronger leader than others initially, but anybody can develop into a good leader if they're willing to do the work and become very conscious about what they say and do. All right. It says the suggestions here are ideas about how you can exercise leadership in each of the five choices to create a Q2 culture among those who work, who you work with, those you work with. They show how the principles of each choice can be applied in different circumstances to create more productive outcomes. Many of these suggestions are targeted to those who have formal authority. Others can be acted on regardless of your position. In every case, they require your commitment to consciously model the behaviors of the five choices to others. So again, that's why I want to differentiate because they're just using a leader as anybody who has the ability to supervise someone else in this context. That's not normally the context and how I teach it. And that's why I want to make sure that I'm consistently making that distinction. So the idea of studying a book like the five choices is to create a quadrant two culture, which we have discussed in great detail because out of the four quadrants, your efficiency and creativity will be found in quadrant two. So you want to develop a quadrant two culture. And trust me when I tell you that it's not necessarily easy to do so. Why? Uh, leadership expert uh, Dr. Sam Chan says it best. That and he's paraphrasing, I'm sure, someone else. Culture trumps strategy. And what that means is you'll come in with these temporary changes. We need to do this. We need to do that. But there's a culture that's been established. And the only way you can really change a culture is to usurp it with another culture. In other words, you have to literally crack and break an old paradigm and create a new one. And that takes consistent, intentional effort and accountability. I will repeat, consistent, intentional effort and accountability. What do I mean by consistent, 
Consistent means you have to do it over and over again, even when it's more comfortable to do it the old way. Intentional. You, your, your actions can't be based upon happenstance. They have to be based upon a plan, the plan of getting you where you say you want to go to produce the results you say you want to produce, to get the success that you desire in your business, in your family, in your life. It doesn't matter. I know this is a business book, but these principles, these five choices can work in anything. Why do I say consistent, intentional, and accountability? Why? Because if there is no accountability, then there's no incentive for a person to really change their behavior. There's no other way to say it. I can remember when I used to work in grocery, and I'm going to get to these choices in a moment, but I always like to give you all context. When I used to work in grocery, one of the challenges that that uh, we had was, um, you know, the systems that were built in to protect people from losing their jobs quickly sometimes became incentives for people not to want to change unless they had to. People were always trying to figure out a loophole around the system so they could minimally do their job or, you know, take off for injuries when they really weren't hurt or maximize, you know, whatever infraction they did at their work, tardiness, date, you know, no call, no shows or whatever. And you had to systematically work to to either make sure that the behavior was changed through discipline, write-ups, addressing the issue, or allow chaos to happen. Because without the accountability, people are going to fall back into old behaviors. There's no other way to say it. If you look at the, look at the world, anytime you have a situation, a circumstance where people are in roles without accountability, they sometimes tend to get out of hand and then, and sometimes so far out of hand that when accountability actually shows up, it's not only destructive for them, but it brings down a whole bunch of other people to go along with them. That's why you see these businesses crash um, because, you know, it was unethical things being done by the leadership, by the executive team or, or the, their board of directors, you know, hush funds, money, golden parachutes, uh, those type of things are the things that bring companies down, you know, uh, stealing money, et cetera. No accountability. Who's watching them? Who's making sure that what should be done is being done? That's an accountability system. And if you as a leader or as a parent or as a spouse or as a significant other or as a uh, a volunteer at a non-for-profit are in a system that does not have consistency, intention, and accountability, it's really hard for it to succeed. Very hard. It has to be some, it has to have all three. So back to the book. The book goes on to say, if you are a senior level leader and would like and, and would like to develop a Q2 culture throughout your organization in a formal way, they have a chapter, which we're going to be dealing with later, which is actually next week. 
This chapter I'm teaching today is for everyone. So the first one is choice one, act on the important, don't react to the urgent. How do we create a, what can leaders do to help with this process? First of all, share your commitment to a Q2 culture with those around you. What does that mean? That means you have to introduce the language. Everything has a language. I really want you to really get this. Everything has a language. Language is the way in which we communicate ideas, thoughts, beliefs, systems, practices, whether they're best practices or worst practices. Language is the form of communication, and language can show up in different ways. Obviously, if you're seeking as a leader to create a Q2 culture, the first thing you have to do is teach it. You have to share your commitment to others to say, this is how we're going to do things from now on. Then they, they, they say, and we'll go over some of this other stuff, teach the time matrix and link it to business results. So in other words, you teach, take those four quadrants and you start to teach it to your team so they can be clear about what the, what it means what it means to be a Q1, a Q2, a Q3, Q4, and how to identify it. How to identify it. Because that makes a difference. Because you can't do what you don't really understand and continue to duplicate it. Yeah, I might be able to throw a half-court shot in one out of 100 and, and it goes in the net, but I don't have the skill set like a Stephen Curry to do that consistently. You have to teach them what you want them to do. The next point is have Q2 conversations with everyone. And that means sit down with them, in, even if you have to do it individually, and make sure that people understand. Sometimes you're teaching this up, not just down, which is sometimes people think, okay, only people that can teach are the people that are whatever. But say, for instance, that, you know, you have, um, you know, a, a supervisor, manager or, you know, CEO, boss, whatever, that is constantly in Q1, constantly. Or pulling you away to do Q3 things constantly. And again, reference back to the old episodes for that, the original episode, not the original, second episode is when I taught that concept uh, about the ch uh, choice number one. Well, it was first or second. I don't remember. But anyway, the point is, you might have to just sit down and say, okay, this is what's coming my way from my perspective. And for me to help you be more efficient, I have to be more efficient. This is what I need from you to help me be more efficient. This is how, you know, this is the information. This is what I do. This is how I structure what you want. And based upon the most efficient way, to address, you know, these circumstances, this is what I would recommend. Again, you can't make your boss do something he or she does not want to do. You can't. But what you can do is offer suggestions without arguing, without, you know, face-to-face -face hardcore debate but just as a possibility of a way to do things better. Because here's the thing. If you're a person that can make the boss's job easier, 
then you are a massive asset to the company. Because anybody who owns, manages, supervises uh, a company will always be looking for people and ways to be more efficient and to take some pressure off of them. So that's why you have to have the Q2 conversations. Then you use the language of importance in normal conversation. So you might have to start using the quadrants one, two, three, four conversation, thinking brain, reactive brain, moment of choice, or the pause, clarify, decide, decision, attention, and energy management. If you use the language, people get used to it. If you don't use the language, it dies. Languages die because people don't use it. You know, um, you know, there, you know, there, for instance, there are less and less people who speak Yiddish than they used to, uh, because there's a more modern Hebrew language now. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, my sister and all her friends, they used to speak pig Latin, so we wouldn't understand what they were saying. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with that, you can Google pig Latin. Uh, they used to speak pig Latin, so the younger kids wouldn't understand what the older kids were talking about. And it took a little bit of time for me to figure it out. Uh, and I can't, you know, I probably would have to relearn pig Latin again for my brain. But when you speak the language, it lives in you. When it, you don't, it dies. And then you should take, allow for strategic pauses. Give yourself time to stop and think and give your time. You know, if, unless you have an assembly line type job, sometimes you have to stop and think about the best practices. It says, so you have to allow for those things. Okay. All right. You know, people to allow them to use their best judgment. Uh, you have to create strategic pauses. Create strategic pauses. Okay. You know, uh, stop, think about it. Even sometimes in a meeting. Okay, let's just stop and think about this. Okay, what's the best way in which we can accomplish this? What are the, what's the best way in which we can get the results we need? That's creating it. Creating it. I'm looking at the time now while this time is, is flowing by. So it looks like uh, it's almost time for our break. So when I get back, we'll continue to teach what leaders can do in the book, The Five Choices. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm teaching the book, The Five Choices, by... Again, the names, Corey Cogan, Adam Merrill, Lena Reen. I would strongly suggest you get the book because I think it's really, really a good book about how to really maximize your time management. Before I get back into teaching the book, though, I want to make sure that I give my quick commercial. First of all, 
Christ Universal Temple is in the midst of his 10th anniversary as Reverend Wells as the senior minister of the church. Obviously, the church is in its going into now its 65th year as of October. Uh, but Reverend Wells as the senior minister in April of this year is now 10 years. So, you know, we're celebrating. And one of the main things we're going to do is have an outdoor service. Uh, in the midst of the pandemic, you know, we're still not back in the building, but we're going to build a big and magnificent stage on the church parking lot. And we're going to have, you know, people pull up in their cars, every other parking space, bring your lawn chairs out, relax, enjoy the service. We're going to have gigantic monitors or screens in the parking lot. So even if you're far back, you can see and hear because we're going to have gigantic speakers. We're going to have Everything you would normally get in the service, prayer, music, sermon, all of that good stuff. And it's also senior minister appreciation that uh, day, that day. So it's the day in which we let our senior minister know how much we love and support him. So I want to make sure that if you're in the Chicagoland area, you tune in. If you're not, still watch it online like every Sunday, which is 1030 a.m. until 12 p.m. Central Time on our website, www.cutemple.org, our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, or our YouTube page, CU Temple. CU Temple. I've discovered that a lot of people, maybe even most people, are watching us live or later on uh, our YouTube page because YouTube is a primary app you can put on your TV, on your smart TVs or go through uh, your cable providers like Comcast, and you can actually just watch the service. So make sure you check it out. I also want to remind you that we have Facebook Live lessons Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. to 12.30 p.m. Central Time. I, along with uh, Gavin Jackson, and um, who's our COO, and uh, Blanche Wilson, who's one of our Johnny Coleman Institute teachers, we teach lessons on how to live a better life based upon a daily inspiration for better living or other material, but primarily the daily inspiration for better living periodical from the universal foundation for better living. So we want to make sure that you're plugged in for that. Also, uh, Reverend Wells has his Facebook live show, Temple Talk, 7 PM central time. Just put in uh, at Rev Derek Wells and it'll pop up. Along with that, we have a consciousness building call at six o'clock PM on Thursdays, Central Time, where you can get a quick 10-minute, 15-minute prayer with the, with uh, some CUT ministers. Uh, and we just have so much stuff. Uh, next week, I'm going to put out when, you know, uh, the next schedule for the Johnny Coleman Institute in May. So I'm, you know, doing everything we can to make sure we can support your growth, your breakthroughs. You, everything that you need to live a better life. I'm going to be teaching in the next semester of the Johnny Coleman Institute, not this podcast, the Johnny Coleman Institute, a book by uh, Raymond Charles Barker, uh, a noted science of mind minister and teacher, a book called Treat Yourself to Life. So if you want more information on that, when the information drops, be on the lookout, sign up for our church uh, e-blast on our website or check our social media and make sure you stay tuned in. All right. So I covered all of that good stuff in one shot. So let's see what we need to do now. All right. So we're talking about allow for strategic pauses and create 
strategic pauses. All right. So I want to go back to allow, allow for strategic pauses just for a moment. It says, uh, it, because they wrote something I think was really good, create an environment where it's safe for people to press the pause button and make good decisions about where they're spending their time, attention, and energy. Allow for tough, clarifying questions like, why are we doing this? Will this how will this contribute to our desired results? Does this have to be done now? Is this a distraction from higher priorities? Should we be doing this at all? Now, I'm not saying for those who are listening that if your boss is saying, I want this now, that you are to get into a debate with the person about what should be done or not doing it. Because in the midst of a Q1 situation, uh, don't you might be risking your employment with that conversation. But in the karma moments, when when the demands are lower, much lower, that's when you have the clarifying conversations. Sometimes in the midst of, of emergencies, at least even if it's not perceived as an emergency from your perspective, it might be an emergency and, and important from another person's perspective, trying to have those conversations can be difficult. Have you ever had a situation with your family members or your spouse or your children where it got a little heated and you had to walk away to be able to come back later with clarity to have the conversation? Because for whatever reason, the tension was a little too high for your intention to get across or come across. And what you don't want to do is create a situation and circumstance where you are, especially in a work environment, putting yourself in jeopardy unnecessarily. You know, many of people have gotten mad at work about something that needed to get done or, or done a certain kind of way and lost their jobs or they quit in the heat of the battle. I'm saying that's when you, again, pause, clarify, and decide. Is this the best time to deal with the situation? Is this the best time and circumstance to handle this situation, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I can, you know, I can, you know, just, you know, remember the jokes of when I was growing up, and sometimes, you know, the guys would say, you know, things like, "Hey, you know, do we, do we have to have this family conver- deep family conversation while the Super Bowl is on?" Is sometimes there are better times for things than others. There are better time, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you know, your wife or husband uh, just got home from work. They've had a you know challenging day. They want to come in, you know, get a kiss, decompress for a moment, take the clothes off, and as soon as they hit the door, it's we got to talk about this, 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 this. It might not allow for strategic pauses and clarity. Maybe later, you know. You know, once things calm a little bit, then it's better to be able to have that conversation. And I realize some conversations can be avoided. I'm just saying use wisdom. I'm not saying that you don't, you know, because, you know, I'll be the first to say that I have a direct personality. And that means I have to be mindful. I'm like, okay, how will this come across? But some things can be avoided depending on the situation and circumstance. Some things have to be said, even when it's uncomfortable. I'm just saying in this in the context of if you're not the leader, don't lose your job over not being strategic. All right. Create strategic pauses. You can learn 
You can help your culture learn to pause and make better decisions by doing it yourself in public settings. Even better if you are challenging one of your own initiatives. So if something comes up and, uh, and you might say, okay, this is what I want to do. Is this making sense? What do you think about this? Uh, how can we make this better? How can we improve this? And this is, you know, these are conversations that you have to make sure that you're getting the input and insight of your own team. It does make a difference. Okay. Instead of just saying, okay, do this, do that. Because here's the thing. If you're a leader, that means that you are overseeing and directing and leading many people who are solely focused on particular tasks, sometimes only one task in the organization. It would be insane not to get their feedback on practices and ways to improve the organization or the system, or maybe we need some new systems. It would be insane. Absolutely insane. This is why you have to be able to meet with your team, to be able to talk to them. Um, even when you have ideas, even if it's something you want done, the way you might need want it done might, might, might not be the most efficient way to do it. This is why you talk to your team. Because as the leader, when it's all said and done, you want the results done. And I would say, because I'm a minister, with integrity, with ethics, with morality, with efficiency, with honesty, with legality, or whatever else you need to add to it. But you want the results. But it also means that you might need to talk to some people about, okay, this. let's take another way of looking at this and empower people enough to be able to have those conversations with you because it will make all the difference in the world when you're seeking to move. Because here's the thing. If you're a leader and you pick up one of your the, the ideas of your team and you tell the organization, this is what we're doing. I think this is efficiency, efficient, more efficient than what I thought. Then you have automatic buy-in, not only from that person, but for the other people around who will recognize when they have good ideas, when they have good strategies, that you're open and receptive to hearing them and implementing them. It makes a difference. And I really want that to land. It makes a difference. That's creating a different type of culture. Then it, um, it says, um, when people see you act in integrity to the principles and to the process, you give them permission and encouragement to do the same. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Help others help other leaders clearly define Q2. That's the next step. Help other leaders clearly define Q2. If you are a leader of leaders, then helping them live the five choices and focus on Q2 can have a significant impact for them and those they lead. Talk through the key elements of the Q2 role statements. What are they focused on? What are their key uh, Q2 goals, their key Q2 goals? Review what they're doing with the time matrix and make sure they are clear as to what is really important. Challenge them to get rid of or delegate other tasks so they can make their highest contribution. 
these are the conversations that are necessary when you're helping other leaders because you can be again a leader of leader or or a manager of managers a supervisor of supervisors and part of that is making helping people understand what it means to have a q2 culture but again this goes back to using the language and using the system because if you're using the language and using the system and more importantly thinking the system then it's easy to help other leaders get there the next point is don't put people in q1 and i love this point lack of pre preparation on your part can have a devastating impact on the people beneath you we call this click spin we call this the click spin theory of organizations think of a bunch of gears connected together when the big leader gear rotates and makes a click some decision some need for information etc another gear somewhere down in the organization starts spinning rapidly to meet that need that's okay if you are a formal leader your job is to make decisions that cause others to do work however if you're operating in q1 because you have not prepared or thought ahead then that is creating an unnecessary crisis for others I love that. So when you start making decisions and taking actions, you are actually moving on the organization to start moving immediately. Therefore, don't make emergencies out of nothing because you're not prepared, because you didn't take time to do your homework on um, Or as John Maxwell says, a leader has to be really clear about what it is the leader is supposed to do versus what is supposed to be delegated to the team because the team can do everything that the team is supposed to do but the team can't do what the leader is supposed to do as the leader get real clear about what it is you are supposed to do therefore when you're clear about what you're supposed to do, then you create efficiency around what you're supposed to do so you're not creating emergencies, Q1 situations for your team. I realize there's always going to be some flexibility moments. In other words, there's no organization that's, that never goes into Q1. But the most effective organizations Try to avoid Q1 as much as possible and stay in Q2. The author goes on to say, um, a quote, a lack of preparation on your part does not constitute a crisis on my part. This idea applies to leaders as well. Because you are in a position of power, others may not call you on it. So your ability to be self-aware is vital. Is vital. All right. Next thing is, and boy, I'm I just realized I'm I'm only at 10 minutes left and I'm still in Q Q1. <laughs> so <laughs> but anyway, that's why again I, I teach the book, you 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 buy the book. Uh don't put people in Q through Q3. In other words, don't have them doing unnecessary work that doesn't move the needle, busy work that doesn't move the needle. Next point, stop, stop the assumptions. You know, 
when you start assuming things, that's when things get messed up. Have very clear expectations. When people are clear about their expectations, no one can get upset when accountability shows up. This is what the expectations are. And if they're not met, then there's con- there are consequences to not meeting the expectations. Again, create positive rituals. In other words, when people do stuff right according to this time matrix and these five choices, celebrate it and reward it. You know, this is why many times when you see sales teams, you'll say, okay, the top salesman, uh, salesperson, you know, received the bonus or the whatever. So when people know that when I do it right and I get the results, I will be celebrated. So create positive rituals around it and reward it. Choice two, go for the extraordinary. Don't settle for the ordinary. Again, share your own leadership, Q2 role statements and goals with others. So people can clear, be clear. This is where we're going. It's one of the things that uh, Reverend Wells does really well at our annual membership meetings. He'll stop and he'll say, okay, the, Okay, this is where we've been. This is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I want to accomplish. Why? Because people need to know that we have a plan. We're not just out here doing ministry. We're planning ministry and doing ministry. Two totally different things. So share your Q. I'm not talking about your personal life Q2 roles and statements. I'm talking about as it relates to work with your team. Again, ask others to define Q2 role statements and Q2 goals. In other words, let them get real clear about what the expectations are. Next one is form. Use from the X to Y by when formula when setting organizational goals. And remember, we taught that. I'm going to do X. I'm going to go from X to Y. You know, I'm going to go from 210 pounds to 180 pounds, for instance, by December 31st. I'm just using that as a hypothetical, but I want you to get the point from X to Y by when. So when you're setting your goals, you have to have a timeline. Okay. You have to have a timeline. Uh, Napoleon Hill wrote a goal is a dream with a deadline. Choice three, schedule the big rocks. Don't sort the gravel, create organizational Q2 time zones. Okay. In other words, this is the time where I'm where I'm really planning um, what we're doing as an organization and project out what are the big rocks, as they said in the in that chapter, the main stuff that needs to be done. Practice Q2 planning with your leadership team. You know, this is another thing that we uh, do well. Um, you know, as as a leadership team, we are you know for the last several years we you know. The pandemic changed things because we had to do it via Zoom. But we'll normally go to Reverend Wells' house as a leadership team. And we plan the next year. We do it several months ahead of the next year. Okay, what do we want to do? What do we want to preach? What are the things that are important? What big dates do we have? What do we need to do on those dates? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't change them. Yeah, they can be changed. But we have a plan. And it makes a difference. Uh, next thing is do a Q2 daily huddle. In other words, sometimes just pulling your team together. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. A reminder of folks about staying on task and efficient. Everything doesn't require a one-hour meeting. Sometimes you can huddle and keep it moving. Okay. Get good. Next point is get good at what you do a lot of. In other words, you should be really efficient at what you do. So in your department, you should be able to explain in great detail this is what you do. 
as it states, if you can't describe what you are doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. In other words, you should be able to explain what you do. When, you know, it always amazes me when people start saying, okay, you ask new thought people, what is new thought? And then they have a struggle explaining it. I'm like, then you don't, you don't know it well enough. You're parroting material. You haven't absorbed it and mastered your subject. Choice four, rule your technology. Don't let it rule you. Again, create an organizational Q2 manifesto. We talked about that before, about how we handle emails, how we handle all the different type of things. Um, you know, sometimes it just means, okay, I'm not responding to those emails at a certain time. Um, you know, uh, turning your, you know, you know, with, you know, people are not communicating with folks, whatever. I, I've had to, at times, it, jump in because, you know, people are communicating people on the church's behalf too early or too late. And I have to stop it. I'm like, no, we, we, you know, we have to be mindful of, of, of some type of rules around this. The next thing is get your technology right. In other words, put your processes up, your emails, your spam, your filters. We went up, we did a whole show on that. So I'm not going to recreate that information uh, or teach it over. All right. Teach the Q2 process map and hang it on the wall, okay? And, and again, when people uh, see visuals, it does make a difference. So five ways in which you can remind yourself how to stay efficient. Uh, choice five, fuel your fire, don't burn out. Take care of yourself. Another way to say that. You have to be intentional about taking care of yourself. Number two, provide healthy food options. And this can, you know... Figure out how you do stuff, you know, um, you know, you know, though, you know, like, you know, I have my little green, you know, drop, you know, the uh, energy drinks where you have not to like not like stuff that you just drink, like the uh, stuff with the wings. I can't I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the, with the, you know, grinded down vegetables and you put the water in it, you drink it or, or you know, or fruit juices or vegetables and regular fruit give yourself options to where you can eat um not telling anybody never to eat cake or, or or banana pudding or or whatever i'm saying just make sure that you are doing what you need to do to give yourself some healthy food options and and don't be gluttonous uh create brain breaks take time to where you can stop and not think for a moment to allow your brain to reset all right Honor vacations. I love this. When people take a vacation, let them go. Try avoid sending them stuff, texting them, or calling them while they're off. If you let people fully relax, then they will come back to the game ready to go. This is one of the challenges that I, I've seen a lot when people are off and people are still getting texts and calls. And here's the thing, especially now when you're working in environments, it's easier to do it in a regular business setting. You know, I often say in ministry is so much harder because it's people contacting you, not only from your ministry, who might not work at the staff, who have your number. This is why I'm really mindful about who has my phone number, but also people from other ministries that might be contacting you. You know, I've been you know out of the country and started receiving text messages from people. I need this, that, and other. I'd be like, hey, I'm on vacation, see, blah. But the fact that I got to stop and reply to it. Uh, so people just don't think I'm ignoring it. They don't know that, you know, I'm in Jamaica. They are, they're just texting me because they need some information. They say, oh, I need to talk to Reverend McDowell, or I need to contact him and get this information. So you have to be mindful 
that as much as you possibly can in your organization that you're honoring the vacation time. And I would tell anybody who takes vacations, put up your email uh, responder to make sure that people know. Put a voicemail on your voice work voicemail if you have to. Figure it out. The other one is uh, encourage the ethos of healthy energy versus tough guy. In other words, if you promote the grind it, get it done no matter what, um, then you're going to promote, you're going to have the consequences of that. Again, working in ministry, I know people who have, you know, too many people who have just worked literally right up to a time of transition, basically, where they either worked so hard, they burnt out, and then they lingered and were ill, or they literally just checked out. I see it, and, and you, you talk to them, oh, I'm fine. Hey, are you taking some breaks? Oh, I'm good. And they're not really. They're just always on the grind, and their bodies just give out. So make sure that you're not encouraging people not to turn into zombies when it comes to work, but actually take the time to refuel, to reboot, to renew, to restore and regenerate so they can be the best versions of themselves. Because again, if they're the best versions of themselves, they're hoping you do what you need to do as a leader. So next week, we're going to talk about building a Q2 culture in your organization. We're going to drill down on that, especially from a leader's perspective. So I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. God bless. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.